Hello everyone and welcome to the series premiere of The Dynamite Effect, recapping the highs and lows from AEW Dynamite. I'm your host and humble guide, Kila Cash. Thank you so much for joining me as I launch my first podcast related to All Elite Wrestling. For those of you who are back for your third time around the block, welcome back. You survived, you made it through the first two shows, and now it's time for round three. And you've come back at the best possible time because it's wrestling night in America every Wednesday night. We have AEW versus NXT coined the Wednesday night war, but to me, it's just great wrestling all night long from two shows that generally do not insult your intelligence, which is the most important thing when it comes to being a wrestling fan. They give you very little to complain about. No show is flawless, but they leave you satisfied mostly by the end of the night. So I'm here to give you a little dose of what worked and didn't quite work on last night's episode of AEW Dynamite. Wow, those of you who watch NXT, I know the shock and horror of watching more than one show and liking both of them equally. I know I'm just stunned just as much as you are, but I do have your NXT fix tomorrow night by eight o'clock PM Eastern time on most podcast platforms. You can always find fresh episodes of all things professional wrestling on Buzzsprout, but you can find it on Stitcher, iTunes plus Amazon Alexa, Spotify, and the granddaddy of them all, Apple Podcasts. Drop times will vary, but I will always let you know via social media, specifically on Twitter, at Lady Wrestling X. That's the letter X. And you will always find updated links to all wrestling-related podcasts surrounding Raw, SmackDown, NXT, and what you're listening to right now, AEW. So that wraps up the church announcements. For those of you who are listening for the very first time, have no clue what's going on, I promise I will stop saying the salutation after week two. Welcome. There are two episodes you can listen to at your leisure featuring a preview trailer of what to expect on this podcasting network and the series premiere of The Raw Verdict, recapping the highs and lows of WWE's flagship show, Monday Night Raw. Those should tide you over as you get ready to consume the highs and lows from AEW's Dynamite, which airs every Wednesday night at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time, 7 Central on TNT. And shout out to AEW, because if it was not for its existence, as of last January, I don't think I will be doing a podcast right now. They changed the game. It's a transformative time in the industry. I know it doesn't seem that way due to declining ratings and attendance, but you know, shows are being sold out occasionally. AEW's killing it with their pay-per-view being sold out in Chicago next month and doing really well for their first show in the greater New York area by almost selling out the Prudential Center for their show in March. So it's a great time to be a wrestling fan because you have options, which is great in 2020 and AEW has been tearing it up since their debut on television in October have been doing stellar on pay-per-view for the four shows they've put on thus far and now it's time to really dissect this brand not from pillar to post but offer some constructive criticism and praise segments when need be because I've always had a lot to say about the show but now I have the form to do it and to treat it equally to a WWE because despite the groundswell of support the show is now without its flaws and drawbacks and that needs to be addressed and hopefully offer some solutions along the way as to how they can improve some things on the creative end. So let's get started by discussing John Moxley challenging
challenging Chris Jericho for the AEW Championship at the Revolution Pay-Per-View, which takes place Saturday, February 29th in Chicago, Illinois. It's a sold-out building. And the build for this particular match has been stellar. At the beginning of the year, Chris Jericho offered John Moxley a seat at the table with the inner circle. And Moxley turned him down, but... Not before trolling him in epic fashion, drinking the bubbly, you know, taking the car and ultimately stabbing Jericho in the back and hitting him over the head with his own bubbly. And Jericho responded by taking a spike from his leather coat and jabbing it in John Moxley's right eye, which was a horrifying sight to say the least. And Moxley sold it like he was just wounded like a dog and the fans were horrified by the moment and it's tough to pull off damaging someone's eyeball in 2020 and selling it as if it's a real legit injury but give credit to John Moxley for selling it to the hill wearing an eye patch for crying out loud on the Jericho cruise beating Pac to become the number one contender to Jericho's championship and he cut a promo in his home state of Ohio tonight just saying that he's not afraid of Jericho and that he questions Jericho's manhood because he always is flanked around his inner circle boys and he wants to be able to face Jericho man to man and take his championship. He's not a saint. He doesn't proclaim to be one, but he is someone that lives by a certain code of honor and he's gonna fight for everything is worth. Moxley is such a great character that the fans rally behind. And I love one-eyed Mox. I just enjoy how the cell job is coming along. And if he makes this a permanent element of his act, fantastic because I think he can rock the eye patch and work with one eye open. So if they stick to that mythology, fantastic storytelling and a way to really sell an injury that is hard to pull off in this day and age. When you used to do it in the territory days, fans and families would be horrified at the moment, but when you can do it in this fashion, it's truly impressive. Despite Mox cutting some very good promos thus far in AEW, he has not cut that definitive money promo that gives me goosebumps. I've seen some of his work in New Japan, whether it's backstage press conferences or promos in the ring, he is so expressive and emotional on the mic in that setting. But in AEW, it just seems like he's holding back a little bit and maybe he's gonna bring home the money promo down the stretch because I hear good promos and they're energetic and feisty, but not that key segment that just hits the heart. We've had it from Cody and Chris Jericho, MGF has brought the heat on the mic as well, but not that definitive, memorable, John Moxley, get up at your seat, say this man is one of the best promos in the business moment. And hopefully we get that in the next few weeks leading up to the Revolution pay-per-view, but he hasn't given me that sauce in his promos. They're very good. They're not great. And maybe he can give us that greatness right before the pay-per-view. And Jericho is always top-notch. He can give you comedy. He can give you seriousness. He is just the jack of all trades, a true chameleon in this industry. And I had to laugh when he had Santina and Ortiz recruit basically their family members for a West Side story fight to kick off Dynamite. And John Moxley was ballsy enough to fight all of them. And he might have lost the numbers game, but he definitely gave everybody a fight to kick off the show on a high note and continue to bring the heat heading into their championship match at Revolution next month. All I ask is for Moxley to give me that one promo 
that he is not given on a level that we have not seen of him before. He talked a lot in interviews about being able to be himself, but we need that one money promo that gets people to buy the pay-per-view. You've already sold out the building. Now it's time to sell out the box office when it comes to pay-per-view revenue. So if he can do that, his match with Jericho is a sure fire hit. Moving on to the first major match of the night was MJF basically hiring the Butcher and the Blade to destroy the Young Bucks in a tag team match. And MJF appeared on guest commentary and he basically told JR, Excalibur, and Tony Schiavone that win or lose, he wanted the Butcher and Blade to ensure that the Young Bucks would never wrestle again. Bold claim paid them up front and guess what happened? The Young Bucks won despite a post-match attack from the Butcher and Blade. They got saved by the bell from Kenny Omega and Hangman Page, the new AEW Tag Team Champions. And Hangman, in an awesome moment, nonchalantly walked to the ring with a cup of beer in his hand, got between the ropes, told one of the young bucks to hold my beer, I got you. He lariated the butcher and then took his beer, drank it and proceeded to leave. So even though he's not with the crew, he just offers his assistance when need be, even though they're not boys like that anymore. And to MJF. Can you get a refund? Because the Butcher and Blade completely failed in their mission to take out the Young Bucks. Can you sue them? Can you take them to Judge Judy to get like a $5,000 claim for services not rendered? I mean, he's wasting his money on hitchmen that do not do the job effectively. And to see him and Judge Judy go at it, just picture it. The yelling, the cursing, the bleeping, the bailiff throwing MJF out for just being an asshole. Can we make that happen? I know that Judge Judy doesn't deal in fantasy booking, but that would be the icing on the cake to really give me much pleasure when it comes to MGF getting told by Judge Judy. So if they can swing that by some miracle, AEW, you would totally kick ass. The next high profile match on last night's show was Cody Rose versus Kip Sabian with Penelope Ford at ringside for Sabian and Arn Anderson out as Cody's coach. This was a good match that was harmed by overbooking. Penelope Ford interfered throughout. Arn Anderson was watching her every time she interfered. And he tried to tell the referee what was going on. Referee didn't see anything. Got in Arn's face. Arn got in his face and shoved him, which led to Arn being ejected from ringside. And Penelope Ford and Kip Sabian are kissing and having fun and just living it up, knowing they're putting the screws to Cody Rhodes. And then in a comical moment, they come out to ringside to share a kiss and they smooch Joey Janela instead in a funny moment that even added to an already overbooked match to become overcooked and overbaked. But ultimately, Cody got the win with three crossroads. Sabian sold them beautifully, but unfortunately, there isn't that much to say about the match itself because it was filled with hijinks that robs Sabian of a moment to shine in a meaningful way. He and Penelope Ford reminded me a lot of Miz and Maurice. They have great chemistry. Maurice had this presence at ringside always causing trouble. And Penelope Ford has that extra something, something to get over as a female talent in her own one day. She's inexperienced, but every spot that she does, it really is impressive. But unfortunately, it takes away from Sabian's matches because he does not need the kind of distraction at ringside when he's already naturally gifted to do what he does best in the ring. And Cody did not need to be associated with comedy when he has to take 10 lashes from NJF next week to build up his blood feud with that fella at Revolution next month. So being associated with an act that is not exactly 
over on the upper tier was a disservice to all parties involved. The match was fine, it wasn't great. Cody should have smashed this dude in five minutes or less. Free from comedy and hijinks, but they decided to go another route. The finisher, as I mentioned, was fantastic, but the body of the match did not do much for me. And hopefully Kip Sabian can have a better showcase against Joey Janela in the very near future, while Penelope Ford continues her hijinks in a more suitable setting that makes sense versus being involved in a random match that takes heat from a blood feud rather than add to it. So that was my main gripe with that particular match, despite the talent involved. In heel turn news, Dr. Britt Baker turned on the heel heat even more by going off on both Tony Schiavone and JR during a segment that generated more Pittsburgh sucks chants, more so than Britt Baker sucks chants, but that's besides the point. Baker tried her best to read Shivani and Jera for filth, but the fans let her have it once again. Not as bad as as on the Jericho cruise last week when Jera had to cut to break in an awesome moment that was hilarious, intentional or otherwise. Just a great way to just drive Britt Baker's heel turn home. But for me, healing on the commentators is kind of cheap. It doesn't do much for me. Her best work actually came on the New Year's Day edition of Dynamite when she confronted Riho backstage about stealing the pin and costing her a shot at the AEW Women's Championship. I left her fire and intensity saying the Rio's never here. She's carrying the division on her back. She should be the star and the champion. I love that energy from her. But I think by saying that all the time and knowing that we don't see Rio every single week, some smart fans out there might actually take Brit's side in this situation and she might become a de facto babyface by default and you don't want that. So it's gonna be interesting to see how she confronts Riho moving forward and she's gonna throw that in her face. Is Rio the Brock Lesnar of the AEW women's division? I don't think so, but it might give fans that kind of inner voice of saying, hey, maybe she's right. We want a champion who's here all the time, who's going to defend the belt, who's not going to sneak out wins due to outside interference or fatal four ways and taking advantage of the rules. Some fans do think that way sometimes. So hopefully Rio doesn't fall into that trap because thus far she's been a fighting champion who has generally good matches, but Brett has to find her swing as a heel and heel on women and not commentators and get heat that way and I can't wait to see how she plays it up in the ring how her in-ring game changes due to being a heel now so she has a tall task ahead of her still very inexperienced as a wrestler and as a promo but she will gain more confidence the more that she does it but for the first couple of weeks it's been okay the delivery has been a question because she sounds so nice talking shit but it's not really with any bite of fire unlike that backstage Rio segment on New Year's Day so she can bring that bite and that extra sauce to what she has to say and really get heat and not the city of Pittsburgh that would be great. In weekly cult recruitment news, the Dark Order has targeted SCU, specifically Christopher Daniels, Scorpio Sky, and Kazarian in some form or fashion in the near future. And quite frankly, I don't care until the exalted one from the Dark Order is revealed. Now I will say this, the vignettes and the video packages have been phenomenal. I thought they were going to rebrand the entire faction. But the more I see of the vignettes and the website and the marketing campaign and how creative it is, I just get depressed when I see the actual act in the flesh and the 
jobbers in the masks and fighting legit competitors and beating them down and winning for that matter. It's just, I cannot take it seriously. They look like the putty patrol from the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers back in the 90s. I just, I can't take a cult seriously when we have no names under these masks beating legit stars up. It really harkens back to how bad the December 18th episode of Dynamite ended with the Dark Order taking out the elite. It was very distressing to watch. Now, the good news is there is a higher power in this storyline, someone that is pulling the strings behind the scenes. That's great. I can't wait to see who it is. But until that happens, I just can't care about the act and the flesh. They don't get heat for the right reasons. The fans groan every time they come out for a match or when they do a beatdown. I just can't buy into the presentation when it's in the flesh. When it's pre-taped behind the scenes, fantastic. But like I said, until we see who is really behind the Dark Order, I just can't take the act seriously until it gets a complete cosmetic overhaul for the live audience and the people watching at home. It goes back to when they first appeared at Double or Nothing last spring. It was just a cold presentation that continued at Fight for the Fallen, during the tournament, and during the beatdown last year. And now here we are, it's January, heading into February, and we're doing the backstage vignettes. They're cool, but when they are actually in the ring beating up people unbelievably, then I have to just sit back and say, can we get the big bad in already? And maybe they're under contract to WWE and can't debut until the summer. Who knows? But we shall see how it all plays out. Now it's time for our main event. It was Private Party and Darby Allen versus Santana Ortiz and La Champion Chris Jericho in a six-man tag team match. A very good match that got even better once Darby Allen got the hot tag. And I have to say this about Darby Allen. I love me some Darby Allen. I had to warm up to him a little bit, but I noticed that he's very good in the ring. He's very crisp, very smooth. Yes, he takes the death-defying bumps and the leaps and the falls and all that in between. He's crazy, a madman. But when it comes to the work between the ropes, he is proficient and uber talented. The fans love him. Kids, grown people are painting their face like Darby Allen. He is getting over, but I feared heading into last night's show, I would have to make this speech again. And I have to say it, since AEW's been on the air in October, and I'm not counting dark matches or tag team matches where he's won, he has faced Chris Jericho and lost for the AEW championship. Lost to John Moxley in a very competitive main event match. Lost to Cody Rose in his best match to date in AEW on New Year's Day. Fabulous match, another L. Just a couple of weeks ago, had a very good match against Pac for the chance to face John Moxley in a number one contenders match for Chris Jericho's AEW Championship at the Revolution pay-per-view in February. And guess what? He lost again. And tonight, even though he did not eat the pinfall during the main event, his team lost when Isaiah Cassidy got clocked by Chris Jericho with the Judas Effect for the 1-2-3. Allen 
is very talented over with the people and he has not had that one signature win in AEW just yet and it needs to happen very soon because you don't want to have a case of WWE syndrome lose 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 the fans lose faith in you and they move on to the next best thing that is not getting beaten like a drum and Darby is too good for that and I really gained great respect for him in an interview we did with Brian Alvarez and Dave Meltzer on Wrestling Observer Radio when they was on the Jericho Cruise last week. And he talked about how he could never go to WWE because he would be stifled creatively and he would be stuck in 205 hell where one, the people don't give a fuck and two, the fans watching at home or lack thereof don't give a fuck either. So here's a guy that is in the prime of his life in his early 20s, doing it up on national television, getting over with the people and taking L's left and right when he could have at least scored a couple along the way and I think based on how the show ended he might be in the running to get a signature win against Sammy Guevara because he was the main one to beat down Allen when the inner circle got in the ring post-match to attack private party and Allen with his skateboard and just embarrassed him until John Moxley made the save with the baseball bat so here's hoping at the Revolution pay-per-view or on TV, we have a few weeks to go, but preferably on pay-per-view, Darby Allen gets Sammy Guevara. They can have a marquee match, have a coming out party for both guys, do their thing, and finally, Darby Allen can secure his first signature win in AEW. He's even talked about this in social media. He will not be losing any more matches in 2020, but... The month of January has not been kind to him, and hopefully February can shine brighter for Mr. Allen. He is truly a talent that should not be squandered by the higher-ups in AEW. I think they see it, but he needs that key win to really catapult his career to the next level. And a few to Sammy Guevara, who needs also a high-profile match that can really get him in the conversation in terms of being a top fleet star, just not a sidekick to Chris Jericho would be an added bonus as well. So maybe they can help each other in a match on TV or preferably on pay-per-view. But John Moxley cleaning house to end the show did end the broadcast on a high note. He is a one-eyed wrecking machine with a baseball bat. And I can't wait to see how he continues to build his match against Chris Jericho for the AEW Championship at Revolution next month. And as I said at the top of the show, here's hoping Mr. Moxley cuts that money promo to get people to buy the show who've already sold out the house. That's a two-part thing he has to kind of juggle along the way, and hopefully he can figure that out in the weeks to come. Overall, I thought that tonight's episode of AEW Dynamite was an okay show, nothing special. I think the company suffered from having four hot themed shows to kick off the new year. You had the homecoming episode in Jacksonville. You had the anniversary show in the Memphis area. You had Bash at the Beach in Miami plus part two on the Jericho Cruise last week. So four highly anticipated, highly built up themed shows that really elevated ratings and house show attendance. And now we're in Cleveland, Ohio. It's not a special label for the show. It's nothing you should go out of your way to really see in terms of high profile matches it was a good night not a great night for AEW the malaise has kind of rolled over towards the end of the month but hey they got a February pay-per-view coming up they gotta hype that thing starting next week and with the 10 lashes Cody will receive from MJF that should heat up the pay-per-view hype just nicely so tonight 
It was a come down show after a hot blazing month of high ratings and a show being renewed for three additional years plus an extra show to be on one of the Turner stations. So AW started hot and ended just a little bit lukewarm to end the month of January. But they should be coming in hot in February because they have a pay-per-view to promote and it should be a good build to evolution in the Windy City of Chicago, Illinois. So as fans, we have a lot to look forward to next month and next week. We have the lashing of Cody Rhodes by MJF. That should be a sight. It should be a sight indeed. All right, on that note, this wraps up this debut edition of The Dynamite Effect. I hope you enjoyed it, and I'll be back tomorrow night recapping the highs and lows with the debut of the NXT Nightcap. Until then, see you later, boys and girls. Take care. <laughs>